and Matt. We're an interracial couple with two kids wanting to do something that highlights the power of friendship and what it means to be in the company of true friends. We're going to move our society away and out of the loneliness epidemic and into a friendlier, happier world. Welcome to our friendly world. Better, stronger, together. Is it all okay? It's yes. all okay. And we're live. And, and we are recording. Live, we're, re- we're recording. We're recording. Oh my goodness. I am so grateful and thankful, as is Matt, right, babe? Yes. <laughs> we're so thankful that you are here today. Everybody, if you don't already know Veda Austin, Veda Austin is here. Go to VedaAustin.com. Instagram is Veda Austin underscore water, and it's V E D A. A-U-S-T-I-N. Veda, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to our kitchen slash living room. Literally our kitchen table. Right. So welcome. Here we are. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. All great conversations happen over the dining table. This is one of the times that I wish we did video because you are magnificent, Veda. I really appreciate all the compliments, but for me personally, I think the water is just so profound and the work that water plays with me, how it works with me is truly extraordinary. But I think one of the most wonderful things really is that we can all work with water in these ways and we get to see the world through a different perspective, through the world of water, of which really the world is made up of water. We really haven't seen it that way. And so I greatly appreciate and I reflect back at you all of the compliments that you've given me. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for starting it that way, because what I wanted to relay to all of our friends around the world is that I think it's I mean, tell me if it's normal or not normal. This is how I have felt. And I think, Matt, you have felt this way as well. But it's normal to become overwhelmed sometimes get bewildered, feel fragmented, separate, alone. Sometimes life can even seem frightening. It can feel like it's just us against the world, that we've been left behind sometimes in some way, sometimes awashed by uncertainty in life. So we're here with the Art of Friendship and all of us here today, especially with Veda, in life in general, we're here together to support one another. We're here to remind each other, to snap each other out of this kind of falsehood, the falsehood being that we're separate, that we're not connected, to show each other the marvel, the nobleness that holds everything and everyone, connecting everyone, holding all of existence together with perfect artistry, There are connections, mysteries, and signs all around us. And so today, one of those signs, one of those amazing marvels, one of the truly profound, noble entities, beings in our world is water. We're going to explore it as one of the elements that connects us all. It's really interesting because all religions refer to water, for ritual, for purification. It's a building block for life. I've heard Veda say, no water, no life, like N-O, but also K-N-O-W. 
Veda, I've totally been trying to do as much <laughs> listening to you as possible. And I also took your master class, which was amazing. I cannot wait to take the next one. It's just really interesting how for many thousands and thousands of years that all the religions in the world, from Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, the Baha'i, Shinto, Zoroastrian, First Nation people all around the world refer to water for ritual purification, but like a life source. Water is more than that. It's also a metaphor for spiritual truth. I didn't know about animism. Do you guys know animism? It's a religion. I've, I've, Phil K. <clears throat> Dick touched on it in one of his stories, which is about all I know. It's one of the oldest religions. It stems in Africa. But here's what they said, and this is one of the major reasons I want us to speak with Veda. I want Veda in our circle. By the way, friends, I'm so glad you're all meeting Veda here through us because it is about relationships. And this is what animism said about water, the religion. First of all, it originated in Africa. It's practiced in many cultures. It's one of the oldest religions. And in respect to water, they said, the perception of water in animism is that it's an entity that connects others and creates relationships. That's how they look at water. We've been doing the art of friendship for years now, but the past few weeks, we're really honing in on the art of communication. And I love your respect for not demanding. And I think the way you communicate with water Veda is exactly how friendships in general with all beings should be. It is the most beautiful example of like when you teach us how to pour a few drops into a, the Petri dish and you're not demanding of water to speak to you. You're not putting an order out there. It, it, it's a dance. You're speaking with another being with respect, with the sense of there's nobleness that is in front of you. So beautiful, and I'm so glad that you're here speaking with us. I wanted to talk about the connection of water. Water is also bringing me to you, Veda, and I don't know how that is going to transform. I know that it's always popped up in my world, in my life, in bizarre ways. One was I was a student in Cambridge, England, and I was at this coffee shop, and it was called The Clown or something, The Clown Coffee Shop. Oh, dear. No, it was a major hangout with all the professors from Cambridge. Okay. And there were these, one day there were these three people at the bar, and it was like a coffee bar, and it wasn't like a bar bar. There was something about these people, so I went up to them. I'm like, what's going on here? What's your story? They were very mysterious. They didn't want to say I'm like, you guys are professors? And I was so young. I was just like, hi, guys. You know, <laughs> I was like, what's going on? You know, and they're, they didn't want to really say. I'm like, what are you researching? What is it? And they didn't want to say. And finally, they're like, okay, we're going to tell you. And they said, we're researching water. And this was in 1989. And I... The way they told me that they were researching water, like that was their whole uh, major hush-hush thing at the, at the university, I, I don't know how I, I don't remember how I responded to that, 
but I think I backed away like in a sense of awe. I was haunted by that, the way they said, we are researching water. We're trying to, we're doing something with water. And it just seemed so big that I backed away. But I wish I have, I wish I could have gone back and go, what, what and how? And what, what are you doing exactly? And then throughout the years, always water would show me signs. Like when we lived on Bainbridge Island, Matt, I don't know if I ever told you that dentist we went to. Yes. We went to a holistic dentist and he had all these books on healing. And one popped out at me because my background is Persian. And it was this Persian scientist who had been incarcerated he was jailed in Iran for years, and he wrote a book on water and how he, do you know of this man? He totally healed everyone in the prison with a cup of water, like from all diseases to broken limbs to whatever was ailing them because they didn't have anything. And the whole book was about water. And then, and then it was my turn to go have my teeth worked on, so I put the book back and I never saw never it looked again. at it again and I don't remember what it was called but like there have been signs like that all along and so Veda when you showed up I said to myself I am not going to let this go I am going to take all her classes <laughs> whatever she's teaching I am all in so with that I'm going to be quiet now and just listen and drink my water bye-bye and um, Veda, you don't know, perhaps, but Matt and I met in a martial arts school. So anything martial arts related, we're all over it. We love it. <laughs> I also heard you speak of Bruce Lee and how Bruce Lee, we all know, always says, be like water or always said, be like water. But as I was listening to you speak, Veda, and you referred to Bruce Lee and said something like, Let's really look at what he meant by that. Be like water. When we think about it, man, I think we think about like Aikido and flowing, you know, like taking right. any shape, but truly being like water. I think Veda can help us like truly understand what's going on, the magic of it, the the everything. I have pages and pages of notes. <laughs> about everything Veda has been teaching and all your photographs, your amazing work, Veda. Veda is an author, she's a researcher, she's an artist, she's a teacher, she's a mom. Are you married? Yeah, I'm married. I, I have a beautiful love story as well in relation to water and how my husband and I met. But, we want to um, hear it, we want to hear it. About, well, I'll tell it, I'll absolutely tell it in just a second, but I don't want to forget to talk about Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee, his words were very profound and words have a lot of meaning. And he said, not just be like water, but water becomes the cup. And when you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. When you put water into a, a another vessel, it becomes the vessel. And I think that's very interesting because it's almost like water became the human. And so often, through, especially through martial arts, there's a great deal of understanding about what it is to release and flow. A and your own internal power and how a very strong person 
has often got to a point where they are so confident within their body about the way they can use their body that they no longer have that feeling or they're not in fight or flight. And when you get to relax, you're much more in flow. And when you're in flow, that is exactly what water does in its healthy state. And water is so interesting when you watch it flow down from a mountain all the way down to the sea it takes off in all these different tributaries and there's so much like people you know we're so different and yet we have this commonality and you talked about religions and it's true it's why i'm excited to do my next masterclass because i'm bringing on people from all faiths to share with us what their sacred texts can tell us about water and I think that's one of the reasons I can actually do that, because someone said, oh, my God, are you crazy? You're getting all these people from all different religions together. And I'm like, is there not going to be? And so they were joking. They were saying there's going to be a giant fight. And I'm like, well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> when, you bring, when you make the focus all about water, you actually get to see all the commonalities. And I think that that's where you start looking at the common truths. And I think this is very important because a lot of people are quite bewildered in the world over the last few years, particularly, and they are questioning what's real and what's not real and what's true and what's not true. And I think when you simplify things and you look at what we know in the world, what we can taste and touch and also what's within us, then you look at what is is a reality and and all the subtleties of water really explained certainly to me so much about what it is to be a living being not just as a human but as as leaves and trees and all the animals in the nature kingdom which are filled with water so i think we can certainly get into that but my love story was in 2019 i went to the annual water conference in germany that's hosted by jerry pollack i met ryan there and there was like a, a instant connection and so without going into all the details because it's a long long could go into a long story so i don't want to bore anyone but essentially um we had just spoken like nothing more he came to me and he said i've got something really weird to show you this is after we'd spoken and we'd kept it already and and i'm like oh, i like weird and and so um he said it's this photo i took i'm like oh i like photos and um and so he had, so this is not how it sounds to me. I, I, he was in the shower, so it's sounding like it's going, so it's not going in that direction. Oh, dear. <laughs> so he was in the shower, and he was stretching out of the shower to, to get something off the um, off the bathroom kind of uh, table thingy. And uh, he looked in the mirror, and the mirror was all steamed up, but there was something in the mirror, and he took a second look, and he was like, oh, my God, and he snapped a photo. And he showed that to me. And at the, in the conference, I'd already talked for the first time, actually, about my work. I've been a second time. I, I was the final speaker of that conference last year. But in this time, nobody really even knew much about my work at all. And so I had already spoken about how when I had asked Water if it knew my name and it showed the VA, like the way I write my initials. And I was quite astounded with that because it was very personal to me as well in that you know we have a very specific way that we write our name and so it was just the way I write my initials so it was very interesting and so I'd shared that um, so Ryan had seen that but he was not expecting to see what he saw in the bathroom mirror 
so when I saw it, it was literally as if, you know how when if, if someone wipes a window and then when the steam comes over it, sometimes it can kind of like show up the last imprint. Well, the cleaning lady must have cleaned in a specific way that in the steam, there was an area which was exposed and it was my initials, VA, exactly the wow. way I write them. And it was like, what? And and he was like, he's a very logical guy trying to figure, like, it was like, what does this mean? This kind of crazy magic. <laughs> and I'm like, like, well, I, I thought, well, what do you think it means? And, and, and then our love has grown and grown and grown. And we... Um, we were married uh, a couple of years ago now, um, but it was during the height of this whole COVID thing. <laughs> and so he had to apply to get a visa to come to New Zealand because no New Ze- only New Zealanders could go back to right. New Zealand. Foreigners weren't allowed. So his first visa application was denied. And so we were married. Two days later, I had to come back to New Zealand and we were separated for seven months. <sighs> And it was so where, awful. Where is he from? America. Oh. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I missed that bit out. So I'm from New Zealand. He's from America. We met in Germany <laughs> at a water conference. And water brought us together. And now we live in New Zealand together. And we were able to sort everything out. But, you know, you never know where water's going to take you and where it's going to lead you. Water brought us together too, Veda. Water has been with me, like... I'm a water person. I think maybe we're all like different elements. Like for sure, Veda, you're water. You're absolutely a water. You were born water, right? (laughs) And you already know that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but like as far as your initials, so the third hydroglyph that I made, the third time I did it, I took, it was snow from outside. I was sitting at my desk listening to all of any podcasts you were on. And as I was listening, the water was just sitting with me. And then later on, I put it in the freezer for a few minutes and I took took it out. And your initials showed up. <laughs> do, you know, do you know how weird it is? Something It's very bizarre to me because I've been sharing and teaching people how to do this work. So for, for, for um, around about a year and a bit now, maybe a year and a half. And the amount of people that actually see my initials in the ice is quite uncanny. And it, it, it does make me kind of go, gosh, I, I, wonder, I wonder what that's about. Because the other day, uh, and I, I was going to post this today or tomorrow, um, but I've already shared one where I, where I froze some of the water using On your my glasses. technique in, in my glasses, right? Yeah. Well, I did a second one. And the second one was interesting because I wrote this book a long time ago. I, um, it was called The Story of Ushella. It actually isn't specific about water, but it was something different. It was written about a little girl in India. And I signed the, the, that book is not under the name Veda Austin. It's under the name Veda Karan, which is my middle name, K-A-R-A-N. So I've been given these two Indian names by birth. Like my mother didn't uh, know what the name Veda meant. She it's didn't knowledge. Know about the Veda. Veda yeah, is but she didn't know. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and she called me Veda because she came over from uh, England on a Russian ship to New Zealand. 
and she made friends with one of the Russian women who worked on the ship, who was called Vida. So she called me Vida. But my mum spelt everything the way it sounds. So instead of it being Karen, she spelt it K-A-R-A-N, which is Arjuna's brother's name in the Bhagavad Gita. So uh, I've been given these two Indian names. So the Veda Karan, I thought, well, I'll just, I'm going to use that name for this particular book I wrote about. And I was thinking, and I'd been like reading through some of what I'd written about, because I'm going to share some of it on my next masterclass. So I was thinking about the Veda Karan, and I got VK in the ice in my glasses, because I'd been reading about it instead of VA. So I think that's really interesting how... How there's this sort of, this is clear intelligence, uh, recognition, not just of what what is around water or what you intentionally expose water to, but around your thoughts, around the subtleties. The secrets are in the subtleties. And for anyone that doesn't know me, and that's, that's still a lot of people, essentially I'm a water researcher and crystallographer. My specialty is in crystallography, which is just a fancy way of saying I study the frozen images in ice after they've been exposed to an inspiring influence. I don't consider what I do experimentation because the mindset that I have is not about experimenting with water. What I've observed is that water doesn't just react to consciousness, water responds to consciousness. And because I'm working and entertaining and doing all of these different kinds of relationships like it's like there's a love affair there is um a absolute kind of friendship there is what feels like i'm the child and it's the parent there's all these different relationships built into the relationship that i am forming and have formed with water because it's always evolving there's never a point where i'm like right that's done i know exactly where we're at now with water because i don't because I think we're always evolving in ourselves as well. There's a constant evolution. We're always having different thoughts and being exposed to different perspectives. So for me, when I see water responding in in the most intelligent ways, I think that a good relationship is not based on experimentation. A good relationship is based off really getting to know someone, really being able to hold space for them, to be with them and to walk with them along this path of life, dance with them, play with them, and accept them for everything they are. And to literally be that with water, I think, is why my um, the crystallography is so profound. And pictures speak a thousand words. So for anyone hearing about this, I don't know if you'd like me to share a little bit about the first time, the first thing I saw in water and how it happened. I, I want, I want you to tell us everything oh dear (laughs) all right so rewind Rewind, for for our audience um so veda from my understanding and i have not taken the master class because i'm very very bad that way (laughs) but anyways um so there was actually a researcher from it was japan right who wrote a book called the hidden messages in water we discovered his book on bainbridge island we did but anyway just to bring everybody up to speed So he went through and he took a look at water after kind of thinking of it more as intelligent force isn't quite right. But he would label the bottle with a different word and he would take images of 
the water that was inside of that bottle after it had had a chance, I guess, to be exposed to that word. And he noticed that certain words were beautiful, certain words were ugly, uh, you know, war, it looked like war, and that kind of stuff. And then, so what, what Veda has done is, is, you know, you've been exposed to this and you were like, yeah, but he did that under a microscope. Hmm. And, and so you actually freeze Petri dishes of water and you look at the images that in between, they represent. In between the freezing point. So where it's like half, I'm talking again, <laughs> part, part, part crystallized. So there were three people that inspired this work for me. And it's interesting because Masaru Emoto, a lot of people know of his work. And that's, I think it's because pictures speak a thousand words and water yep. really has a lot to say. He was not embraced at all by the scientific community. The main reason was that he openly said that he chose the best photos. So they took photos of water exposed to very extreme things like the word love and hate, like heavy metal and classical music, to see what might happen. And they took many photos and they were able to because they did it in a cold room and it was taken flash frozen and taken under a microscope. So he openly said that he chose the best photographs to display what he was trying to share. So in the scientific world, Emoto was not embraced. However, what he really did, which was wonderful, was he opened the door for people to see themselves as bodies of water sensitive to their thoughts, to words, to environment, to music. And that was extremely important for everybody in that time. And I think that over time and over years, new things come from old things. So he really laid this groundwork and for people to start to think more openly about water and themselves as bodies of water. So I'm very grateful for him for having done that. The second person who inspired me really, I think is quite remarkable. His name is Laurent Costa. He's not so well known. He's a French microscopic photographer and his ethos was very resonant with me in that he didn't experiment on water either. He didn't consider himself to be doing that because he believed water was a spiritual teacher. But what was very interesting about his work was that he did not want to influence it intentionally. What he wanted to do was just see what water wanted to share with him and for him to try to be the observer as much as he could. Sometimes he'd, he'd smile at the water before he would flash freeze it and then photograph it. And in the microscopic photos, he was getting smiley faces. He was getting hearts. He was getting fish. And these were remarkable because as well as getting geometries, which is what Emoto's work was so well known for, were the beautiful snowflake-like crystals that appeared. He was getting art. There's a big difference Although geometries make up our universe and sacred geometry is extremely profound and we're very attracted to geometries as people, art is an expression of a creator, of, of the artist. It's one of the interesting things is when you see art, you want to know about the artist. And that's a natural tendency. And you get to ask the question, what does this mean to me? You know, it's not all about how is this possible but there is a, it's a deeper questioning. I think art is an extremely profound way of sending messages. And Walter did that for him. And when I saw it, I worked professionally as an oil painter for 15 years or so. So it really resonated for me. And it was quite different. And I liked his ethos. And he and I are friends now. But the third person who really inspired me to begin 
my work was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus, and he was a radionic engineer. And he made a very curious observation that when he went into a Parisian meat market on a very cold day, he noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal were affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. So, for example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ, above a liver organ, and so on and so forth. And so his idea, his hypothesis, was there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs, and he put that down to there being water in the fresh blood. And each type of organ in a body has what's called a sonic signature. It is like a cymatic kind of, it's a very basic way of describing it, but it's a very special pattern. It's like a cymatic imprint in the organ held within the water of the blood. So it's like a blueprint of the shape, form and function. And so when this air was very cold and the information was being exchanged, and if you think about the stage between liquid and vapor, this kind of lends itself into spirit. So the idea, this idea of this water in the blood of an organ beginning to spiritually go from one stage to another kind of extends itself out to how the water in the air potentially was able to receive that information. And then when it hit the glass, froze into the form and shape of the organ. So this was where Hieronymus was going with that, and I think that that's fascinating. But what was different about his work is that he was seeing this with his naked eye. So I took all of that information and I wanted to see for myself if water stored memory. There's this idea of water memory that and I don't even know if memory is even the right word, but I, it's the best word at the moment that I can, can kind of talk about so people understand the concepts. Because everything is so much deeper than we think it is when it comes to water. And there's a very powerful spiritual aspect to water. When you see that science, art and consciousness or intuition or spirituality, whichever you prefer, overlay, then you know there is a deep truth. So when um, when I saw all of this, I, I realized that the secret seemed to be in the freezing where the unseen becomes seen. And so... I'd had a healing experience with water and I, I wanted to see, well, what would happen if I projected a thought into water and froze it. And so I knew there was something special about water already because I'd seen a transformative healing happen to me. So I used the spring water that I'd been drinking, but I've used all different kinds of water over the years. And I was going to project a thought into my glass petri dish. I had one because I was working on another project. So I've been an artist, but I'm also a researcher. And so I, um, I, I basically thought, okay, what am I going to think about? And I saw this bit of fluff floating around in the dish. So I was like, oh God, so I put my hand in to take out the fluff, consciously thinking, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's memory because I, I, I really didn't know if that was a real thing. And we can read about stuff. You know, there's lots of books to read. There's lots of videos to watch. We're in a, a time now where everything is at the, our fingertips to Google away. And we can get so much information. But there's no information that's more valuable to us, I don't think, than the information we learn for ourselves, that we do ourselves, that, that we gain from our own experience. And so I, I was like, okay, 
there's this bit of fluff floating around in the water, right? So I put my hand in to take out the fluff and I consciously thought, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's memory. So that was the imprint. I put that Petri dish of water into the freezer, my household freezer. I'm not working in a lab. This is rudimentary stuff, right? <laughs> and I just left it. I had no idea if anything would happen. I kind of forgot about it. A few hours later, I came back to it. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going on in there, if, if I'll see anything. you know. And I got the Petri dish out. It was solid ice then, held it up to the light. And I took the first photo that has launched nearly 40,000 photos of water responding in the most intelligent way. What I saw it took up half the Petri dish. So the Petri dish was 10 centimeters in diameter. I don't know what that is in inches. I'm sorry, but it's about the size of my hand. And uh, so it took up half of that, which is macroscopically huge. There was this very clear hand in the ice and it took it me back. Wild. Because... It is wild, you guys. It is legit a hand. It looks like an yeah. x-ray, but it looks, it looks almost like... alien too. Yeah. And I showed my son who didn't know what I'd done. And I said, hey, Rama, what does this look like to you? I showed him the photo, which I took on my iPhone. All my photos I've taken on my iPhone, which is what makes it so easy and accessible for other people to do. And so this hand was just so clear. And he said, looks like an x-ray of a hand, mum, pretty much. Um, he said, it's kind of a creepy hand, but it's a hand. And I'm like, I know. And so then I thought, well, I wonder what would be naturally informed. So I went and got some seawater. And I put a thin layer of seawater into the Petri dish and froze that. And I kind of nervously took it out because I thought, well, if I see something relative to the ocean here, then that might mean this is real and not coincidental. And the picture that I took was really amazing. It was of a fish with gills and fins and tail and the shape of the fish and a perfectly round eye. And that's when I just became so prolific. And, I, and nothing's changed 10 years later. You know, nothing's changed, really. I look back at my work now, when I first began, like I, I, and, and I look at all those old photos that I took for a year until I learned my technique. And I'm amazed that the imagery came through as strong as it did. And I think water really must have wanted to communicate through these artistic uh, expressions because the way I photograph water now, the stage of freezing is very different from when I first began. And it was when I began to understand more and more about the new science of water, which is a very real thing. Dr. Gerald Pollack's a friend now, a very dear friend and a mentor of mine. But back then I didn't even know him. And I read his book about the fourth phase of water. So we have a liquid, solid, gas, and then a type of gel or plasma. That's the kind of water inside of our cells. It acts like a battery because it has a negative and positive charge. So let's just back that up. Exclusion zone water or easy water known as structured water has a negative charge. Healthy cells have a negative charge. But the why it acts as a battery is because it pushes the positive charge away from itself. So when you have a negative and a positive, you have a battery. And when you're looking for exclusion zone water in the lab, it's really interesting because you can find this type of water outside of the body as well. So you can put only certain waters have it, though. So when you have 
this kind of water, which is often the spring. Easy water can usually form when water's been under a lot of pressure, like in a deep underwater aquifer. And so where they put some water into a little glass dish and then they put some microspheres in it, which enable you to see any movement in water. Then they put a see-through tube called a Nafion tube, and that's to see if the water will do anything with the tube. So then they look through a microscope, and what you'll see is water flowing and self-propelling itself round and round and round through the tube. And that is how it works if there's exclusion zone water in there. But what I learned from Jerry Pollack was that as water is beginning to freeze and after it's and as it's beginning to melt, those two stages are where this this fourth phase water is. It's it's the stage of in between, you know, it's I call it the stage of creation. And so I began to look into the freezer earlier and earlier to see what was happening, when were the patterns starting to form. And so at about four minutes, that was when I had a, my freezer setting at minus 23 degrees Celsius. Four minutes used to be my number. It's now five minutes 20 in a different freezer setting at minus 14 degrees Celsius. I'd see there was liquid on top and ice underneath. And at that stage, I just was like, oh, what's happening in there? So I took it out, let the water drain away. And there was this thin layer of crystallography that had such three-dimensional imagery. There was so much light that came through, and it was just profound. The imagery kind of went in a quantum leap forward. And I want to add that when I'm talking about imagery, I'm not talking about the imagery that is just so you can kind of make out something. It's a little abstract. Maybe it's this and maybe it's that. Jerry Pollack, once I started to get to know him, gave me some great suggestions a few years ago. He said, why don't you take 25 of your photos, write what does this look like to you underneath all of them, and, and send it out as a questionnaire, which I did. And I gave it to friends to basically circulate throughout social media. No one knew it was coming from me. No one knew what they were even looking at in these pictures. So there was no prompting. And nearly 300 people did the survey. I think it was like 290-something people. And 85% of the people were able to recognize the imagery for what the influence was prior to freezing. So, for example, the influence for me was the thought of a hand. Everyone recognized the hand. And that's just an example of what I mean by inspiring influence prior to freezing. Of those 25 images, there were three where 100% of people were able to recognize the images. So I think that that is a very important because it's not that people are just being led to think, oh yes, I can see a cat there if I make out the ears and stuff. People were able to identify the imagery. And with using this new technique, it really allowed me to understand water better. What I learned was that water freezes in three stages. And that was interesting and important because not many people look in the freezer, maybe as much as I do, <laughs> um, which is a lot a day. And so I noticed that the first freeze is the freeze that I photograph. The second freeze is a layer that is just above the first freeze. And then the third freeze is the water that stays liquid the longest in the, between these two layers. And once that third freeze is kind of 
frozen, it clouds over a lot of the imagery. So the third frets holds most of the heavy metals or the minerals of the water and they are what cloud over the water. So if you use distilled water to make ice cubes, you'll get clear ice cubes. The reason ice kind of gets cloudy is because of the minerals and things that are in the water that you've used. So it's quite interesting to watch that, those stages. And so that was interesting, but I, I kind of began to learn more. So I, I began to understand that there's three ways that water communicates, if you will, using this technique. The first one is signature patterns. And you talked about how I encourage people to, um, to just stay out of their sort of the ego space. I think this can be the most challenging work for people that already love water because, because there's a deep love already. There's an expectation that water is going to, of course, you could totally bypass a lot of this and go straight into the communication on a very deep level where you can start showing photos and it will immediately show photos that you can ask it to do this and ask it to do that and it's just going to do it for you. I have found that that tends to come into a relationship where it's just can be a little bit all about the person rather than the water. I think when we realize how much water we're made of, not just by volume, because that's fairly common knowledge, but by molecular count, we're 99% water. There are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. That's we amazing. literally see everything in the world through the lens of water because our eye lens is 99% water. So when we, we kind of look at it from that perspective, it's water seeing water. So sometimes our mind can just get a little bit in the way. In fact, the mind's a little bit like the third freeze. It can tend, to, it can come with a lot of different stuff and a lot of things we've picked up along the way. The first freeze is actually water's connection to you as spirit. So this is something really interesting. Often the the second freeze has a little bit of both, and it, it that relates into the something I learned a long time ago when I was in India through a teacher of mine. There are three modes of emotion that are talked about in Vedas. They are called Sattvic, Rajasic, and Tamasic. Sattvic is the mode of uh, purity and uh, kindness, goodness, if you will, very basic. This English is often not a good way to trans translate um, from a, a very deep ancient <laughs> language, but I do my best. And then Rajasic is a passionate mode of emotion. And then Tamasic is more of a... Uh, what we might term as a negative mode of emotion. And people can often flow through these different modes of emotion throughout the day sometimes, let alone the weeks. And so I see I see an overlay in that um, with these three layers and the way in which water's connecting with us. So when I look back at my old work, I think, wow, that spiritual aspect was really doing everything it could to come through past all of those other freezing stages. So um, when you start to really connect to water like that, you start to kind of have a little bit more of appreciation for it. So a signature pattern is the pattern that water forms 
when it, when it comes from rainwater. For example, rainwater has a pattern that looks like a fan with a slight curve. Tap water, municipal tap water, tends to form very disordered patterns. Spring water fresh, collected freshly forms the what I call star hexagons. If you imagine a kind of star, and then off each leg of the star is a fern, and you put them together, they create a hexagon. Filtered water tends to form lines that are kind of compressed together. So you know, okay, the water is showing me this this kind of environment it was in. It's very amazing because we see this around the world with all different types of waters on my beginners workshops where I teach people and we look at the crystallography they do on those um, workshops. We can see the types of water that they've been using because we'll see signature patterns. And then there's the art of water, which I also think of as the heart of water. And then there is hydroglyphs, which are different to all of those. They have the more similarity to signature patterns than to the art. So hydroglyphs are getting more scientific acknowledgement or interest. And um, I shared about them at the water conference in Germany. Now, what, why people are interested scientifically about them is that they are repeatable. To say I have one hydroglyph, I have to have used the same word influence and seen a symbol appear and the same symbol appear at least 50 times. So what's interesting is that water doesn't read words. I mean, that, that seems kind of a weird thing to say, but water does absorb the energy of words and it crystallizes into the energy of a word. So the difference would be right now for your listeners, I'm holding up my glasses and nobody is excited about that because <laughs> they're glasses, right? We've labeled them, they're just glasses. But if I said, this is the energy of my glasses, it, we have a different ap approach to that way of thinking. So the energy of my glasses to me means there's the energy of sight. There's the energy that I'm able to see better. There's the, the energy of the silica in the glass. There is an energy that my glasses hold because I have been wearing them. They have something to do with me. And so this is very interesting because just about everything we see can have something to do with us. So water crystallizes into the energy of a word. That's very interesting because it's very deep and very profound. And what we've discovered, because I have a small team of people around the world helping me find the layers of meaning of hydroglyphs. So we've understood that, uh, and through doing so many tests, it's taken me five years to only get about 40 hydroglyphs, but there are a number of layers of meaning to them, which means I have to have done the same thing to get a layer of meaning to do it 50 times with that other word. So the first time this ever happened was when my son had seen Masaru Emoto's work. And I think this is helpful, maybe helpful. For some reason, as human beings, we love to see things in contrast. We love to see the best and the worst of things. And we love to, to share that and talk about that. But real life is a lot of in between. There's so much in between. There's lots of shades of gray, if you will. <laughs> and... And I think that that more represents people. I think we're, we're a mixed bag, you know? Right. And, and so um, my son, years ago, he, he saw, saw Emoto's work and he saw classical music and heavy metal. 
And he said, I think water hates me. And I said, why? Why do you think that? My God, my child who thinks water hates him. Like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> and um, and he showed me Masaru's pictures because he, he was looking at the book. And, um, and I said, water doesn't hate you, honey. Here's the reason why he thought this. He said, I don't like to listen to classical music. And he said, I also not that into heavy metal. He said, I like rap and I like Tupac and Tupac swears. So water must hate me. And I'm like, oh, I can see why you thought that. But that's not a universal truth. So, so when a child can't, often when a child can't relate to either extreme, they'll often assume the worst. Right. And so I went on this mission to do so many different genres of music and expose water to all these different types of music and see how water responded. And what I discovered was that water really seems to like to pick up on words. I also mentioned that the person that did heavy metal in the Emoto work probably didn't like heavy metal either. So, um, oh, by the way, Beta, Matt is a major a, heavy metal person. And you can't just label one Zoom because. Right. And you and and by doing that, what I what my biggest what I don't like is this, and especially in relating to my children. You know, if my son decided that heavy metal was his thing, I would hate for him to think that water doesn't like him because of that. And there are a bunch of people I know who are great people that love heavy metal. So there's that aspect to it. That's what I mean about the dangers of extremes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did all these genres of music and I observed water likes to pick up on words. By designing an image in relation to the word. And this is how hydroglyphs began, really, because I was trying to show something to my son. So over time, I did lots of genres, and one of the songs I used, and I repeated it. It's easy to repeat music because you just push play and it does the exact same thing. And I would leave the room. So whether or not I like, whatever I like wasn't a thing. I would leave the room, let the song play, come back, and then do the work. And uh, for Stairway to Heaven, I saw the stairway image, and I repeated it probably about 12 times, and I kept seeing the same sort of symbol appear. And that was over the course of a month or two or something like that. It wasn't all at once. And it's remarkable. It's exactly like a staircase. I mean, there's no mistake it. It's a staircase. Staircase. And, And what was interesting is that water, you know, designs things that are recognizable but not exact and it's it's very interesting because nature doesn't do exact replicas even twins even if you're looking on a subtle level you can have identical twins but their personalities can be very very different and so there's even leaves that look identical there's often some tiny little difference and so the the stairway glyphs you could see they were a stairway for sure you couldn't doubt it Um, that each one had a slight difference, but they were very recognizable. And so I thought, I wonder if that means stairway, because that seems to be what I'm seeing here. And so that led me on to write the word stairway, knowing that words have power. And so 
I wrote the word stairway, put my Petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds. It's mm -hmm. a number I give people when they're beginning. It's not too long. It's not too short. It's not that it has a great deep, big meaning for me, but it's just that's that's how I began. And it's nice to have a protocol in the beginning. And then I would freeze it using my short-term freezing method. And then I would photograph it. And I, I saw the stairway appear after using the word stairway. And then I thought, well, will it do it again? So I did it again and again and again until I had done it 50 times and I'd done it over a period of about three months. And I think that's important because I didn't use the same dish each time and I didn't use the same water every time. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing, and even, even another thing I did was actually um, use the same water. So I would see the ice has formed, I'd take the photo and then I would just let it melt. Then I would refreeze it using the same word and I would see the stairway appear. And then I would not use the stairway as an influence and I would see it's gone back to a different pattern. So I think that was one of my more important things that I often forget to talk about. It's like I, I, I did this, this sort of series with the same water. So I think that that's quite interesting. It is. Um, so, so then, uh, after that, I thought, well, in relation to the song Stairway to Heaven, like what else could stairway mean? So I wrote the words to climb up or just climb up, sorry. Mm -hmm. And I saw the stairway again and again and again and again. And then I realized there's a layer of meaning. So this work, these symbols, these symbols are very profound. When I asked water, and yes, I asked water questions. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm not... I'm I'm not limited to what I can do with this. Now, wait, wait, hold hold on just a second. I I think perhaps water showed you a staircase in the case of Stairway to Heaven because I don't know anybody who thinks they know what that song is about. It's a beautiful song. What what is it about? All that glitters is gold, and she's buying the Stairway to Heaven. That line has always like haunted me. Like I don't have a clue. The guitarist, I believe, was the one. He had a dream, and he, when he woke up from the dream. All of a sudden, Stairway to Heaven came together, and it might be one of those like ridiculous rock stories that you hear. But, but honestly, what is the song about? So I can understand why, because Stairway to Heaven is is echoed multiple times in the course of the song. So you know, I don't. I... <laughs> it's a really helpful piece. Like just just kind of like learning about little extra things that helps me. That's why I love being able to talk to people and have people. Because um, people are so clever, and we all have such different ideas, we can right. bring such a, such a, a lot of information back to this work when we all kind of can talk together on it. Mm -hmm. And nothing is silly. There's no silly questions. There's no silly suggestions. You know, everything is relative, and, and really important. And so, by understanding that water has a symbology, that was very interesting. Right. And uh, and I have and when I asked water what is a hydroglyph? It re responded in hydroglyphs. It gave me the living glyph and it gave me the message glyph, which means living message, which is interesting because the living part is such a, a, a very important piece in hydroglyphs. The, the living glyph shows up a lot. And it's even more interesting because the living glyph has a secondary layer of meaning, which is death. And... Here's, here's the interesting part to that, is that 
somebody asked me after I had well understood the living glyph and knew what it looked like. And uh, they said, can you ask water what death looks like? Because I've been only given a, a few months to live. And so I, I used the word death and I kept seeing the living glyph, glyph over and over again. And I'm like, is this right? And I really wanted to be sure because I didn't want to go back to that person and say something wrong. And after more than 50 times, I realized something that was blindingly obvious is that we tend to label water as dead if it's polluted or destructured or denatured or all these things that we call water. But water does not die. Water will always evaporate and it is reincarnates for all to see. And this was important. So the word death is actually a, a transition of the word life. It is simply another word for life to water. From the perspective of water, it is a transition from one phase to another phase. There is no death, not in the way we understand it to be. And and that was very helpful to me because I don't know if you were, I know I don't think you were, but um, there was a beginner's workshop some a little while ago, not that long ago. And there was someone on there who got the two of those hydroglyphs, the hydroglyph for living and the hydroglyph for death. And I was talking about the dual meanings of them both. And so that can sometimes maybe mean a beginning and an end as well. It can, it, although that's not what I've discovered in hydroglyphs, that's me doing some guesswork. And that's actually how we begin. We guess what could another word mean and we use that word. So, you know, there's so much more to learn. It's it's a lifetime of learning, of lifetimes and lifetimes, honestly. But um, she, this person got two of these glyphs and um, then she was really upset. And it was really interesting to watch the emotion that came over and she shared with our group and she said that she doesn't mind me sharing this. I just don't share her name. Um, and she said that she had been wondering whether she was going to live or die. She had become so despondent in this world after the last couple of years that she felt that she was not seen or heard and that people were lying to her, that no one was really telling her the truth, that nobody really knew her. And when she saw that water showed her these two, two glyphs, the, the same glyph with the two meanings, she said for the first time in years she felt seen and she felt like heard and she felt by something she could trust. And she said, when she said she was between living and dying, she didn't know she was considering taking her own life and that by just being seen, she felt changed. And the whole group was changed because of her. Mm -hmm. The whole group, you know, we don't know what people are going through, but water knew. And I think this is profound. There's so yeah. many profound things that water has shown me about myself, about other people. It, it constantly reminds us to remember that we don't know what other people are going through. It's so true. The way that the water is communicating, the way you communicate with water, it's exactly what we're talking about is remembering how to truly be heard and how 
When someone is hurt, it gives them life. It brings them back to life. If you really want to destroy a culture, if you want to destroy a people, you stop listening to them. If you want to destroy your children, by all means, don't listen to them. Don't give them any attention. Right? Right. Don't look at them. Right. And then, and also, you know, entering into the state of like, Preparing to be dazzled, preparing to be wondered, uh, not wondered, preparing for wonder. You know, the whole Zen mind, beginner's mind walking into something makes everything fresh, makes everything fun, makes everything on some level, you know, you're you're opening a doorway for something wonderful to happen. And you're not blocking. And also remembering that sense of respect for everything, for all of life. The respect of knowing that someone has a story, the respect of listening, (laughs) knowing that even if you can't see it right now, that there's this whole world in between. And that's what I, that that's what I was trying to say. That's why I'm so happy that Veda's here because it's making you remember, look, you may be going through a hard time, even Things on the planet may seem like everything is in disarray, completely fragmented. But when we can show each other, like when one of us can see something like Veda, and she's like, hey guys, look. And we're looking at what water is doing, something mm-hmm. we ignore all the time. We're ignoring ourselves. We're ignoring each other. Right. And it's something we're all made of. But we're ignoring it. We're disrespecting it. We're not paying attention. Or we're annoyed by it even worse. Oh, God forbid it rains in Los Angeles, right? <laughs> People freak out. But yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, you're not opening yourself up to the wonder right. of it. And when we can show each other, oh my God, look at this, you guys. Look at this. And we remember the world is so much bigger than we could have ever remembered you know like we have to remember we know all this because we all come from it i think veda you were saying that they've discovered that water comes from outer space was it outer space or another planet but the whole planet our whole everything comes from another universe it was through an explosion where we all come together rumi all the great poets talk about this all the time that we're all from many stars and many galaxies and universes all combined. It's every element of it is on this planet. We're all, all of that. It's so interesting. The science is out as to exactly where water came from to seed the planet. Some believe that water came from asteroids and meteorites and some believe that it came from the uh, within the Earth's mantle. It's called primary water. It's held within this thing called ring, ringwoodite, which is a kind of a type of crystal. And what happens when there's earthquakes and tectonic plates move and things like that, this type of very drinkable water comes up through fissures. And, um, and it, it's likely that it was maybe both. And it's kind of an interesting thing because we don't go down to the Earth's mantle and we don't, we're not necessarily up flying around in the universe either. So, so uh, both places are kind of alien to us, uh, which is interesting because when you're studying water, you're also studying what it is to be a living being. <clears throat> and this is, and 
you know, pardon the pun, but to to boil it down, Lord, what are we made of? What are we? What's our composition? At the very basic level, and that is, we are water, salts, minerals, and consciousness. And water, as we've just discussed, doesn't die. And salt's very interesting because when you put salt into water, it disappears. Water becomes a liquid crystal because salt is a crystal. It has a cubic kind of bonds and it, it has all the properties of what it is to be a crystal. Plus it has electrical kind of composition, which is very interesting. Think about salt, which is why we're salt water and we have electrical charge. But also when that water evaporates, the salt still there in its form, in its cubic form, which is really interesting. When someone is cremated, the ashes are actually salts. So again, here we have this shapeshifter, this kind of, if you will, immortal substance of which we are made of. And then, of course, there's consciousness. So by looking into these areas, you know, I think that's very interesting. Someone once said to me, what if water is expressing its consciousness through us and every living thing on the planet to observe itself from every different perspective, which is very interesting. You know, when we are looking for life on other planets, we're always looking for water. Right. Water first is thing. Search, always in search of itself. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> then, right. You, and but scientists would say, you know, water is the essential building block for life. We can we can get by. We can see perhaps life emerging from anything else, but water better be there. Yeah, we can say that water is life. That's a very common statement that you see on lots of different places all over the place. But very reluctantly, people, not many people are saying that water is alive. So then there is that question, is water conscious? Or is our consciousness affecting the water? And I think that that's an important question to ask, and which one I have asked myself. I like the quote by Moses Hackman, which is that water is the glove on the hand of consciousness, which I think is really interesting. Personally, I don't have all the answers. I'm still very much learning, but I'm learning through experience, and therefore it becomes very real for me by doing that. When my mother died, I was with her. She died back in 1999. She was my best friend. She was an angel. A woman, just incredibly beautiful, beautiful person, inside and out. She'd had cancer for eight years, and then it's breast cancer spread to bone cancer, and she went into a coma. She came out of that just to say one thing. She said, "They never, they never come when you're ready for them," <laughs> and she was so ready to go. And there was a complete surrender at this point with her. And when I watched her die. And then I went to go to see her in the body in the funeral home. I realized and I saw, I was like, mum's not in there anymore. She's gone somewhere. Mum is not animating this physical body anymore. And that was really, really important for me to see because I, I realized she, she, that she'd left the building, if you will. And, and so it's interesting because all her organs were in place. You know, she had her heart, she had her lungs, she had her liver, she had her brain. All of the different things that we have as a human being were there. Mm -hmm. The one thing that had gone was her spirit. And it's the energy, the spirit, that fuels the body. Right. It's very important to remember. 
And so I saw this and I've always been interested in what different people believe, which is why my next masterclass is all about what different religions, cultures, faiths and ancient texts can tell us about water, because I think water and spirit are intimately intertwined so much so that they behave as one. And we tend to think about water only as a liquid, but water is very, very much in the realm of air and ether, as well as, of course, ice. And what we know about water is so little. Again, we don't really know where water even comes from or came from to save the planet. And there's four stages, like there's a plasma as well, this fourth phase water that Jerry talks about. So we've identified four, but even ice, there are 300 different types of ice. There are certain things that are special and unique to each and every one. <laughs> so for us to think that we know everything there is to know about water, in Maori, my dad is Maori, and I wasn't brought up in a Maori culture because I wouldn't, wasn't brought up with my dad. I didn't know he was my dad till I was 12. So I'm still learning and I'm very interested. Mm -hmm. But there are 60 different words for different types of liquid water, let alone the other types of water in the language. Yes, so, uh, tribes in uh, Alaska, uh, First Nation peoples in Alaska have like 60 different words for snow. This is like going to Peru and finding 10,000 different kinds of potatoes. And there you go. There you go. But it, that, and, that just highlights how central it is to all cultures, all ways, for goodness sake. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so then when I was like very much because I, you know, I was with mom and, and I observed this shift, this change, you know, I, um, and so... I started to interview people that have had near-death experiences because I, I was like, well, you know, in in the Maori culture, there is a word for spirit, which is wairua. It means, wai means water and rua means two. So these two waters, this is a very fundamental way of describing it. There, there are many more meanings and depth to it, but essentially the spiritual waters and the physical waters of which are both within us. What's interesting is that the physical waters hydrate us and do all of the things they need to do. They come into us and they also help leave. They leave us as well as when we go to the bathroom. We know all about that. But the other kind of water, the spiritual water, and I think that the spiritual aspect of water is the observer or the witness. There's non-judging. I think there are two worlds, the world we live on and the world we live in. And the world that we live in is how we experience the world we live on. So everything that we experience in this body is experienced through touch. So when we touch something, the sensation is felt in the body. Sound has come into the body. Sight comes into the body. Taste comes into the body. The experiences that we have in this world through our senses are experienced inside. Thoughts are felt thought inside when we're thinking we're very mindful that our thoughts sort of stem around this area of our head and we have for example one of the things when you think about your toe you really have to, to consciously bring your thought down towards your toe but that's an interesting way i've just said that you have to bring your thought all the way down to your toe through the water of your body and so this is all uh part of the way I started to build this idea that that spirit could well be able to be 
in this body as a gas and be able to leave the body and become the observer of the body and is able to come back. But how does it come and go? And I think it comes and goes on electrical charge. Mm. We have electrical charge, which can be measured by heart math. It's not some woo-woo kind of out there thing. So as long as there is some movement within the fluids of our body, it can create a charge because we are salt water and healthy cells have a negative charge. The earth is negatively charged. Why walking barefoot on the ground is so good for us. We absorb negative charge from the earth. So all of these things are good to know. So this kind of charge emits from our body and it's at different sort of lengths and bandwidths and all this kind of stuff, if you will. But the water in the air that's evaporated some of it is attracted to our electrical charge. It creates, if you can imagine, dewdrops on a, a spider web. And it, all of that creates an energy information system. So we are literally walking around with this, this kind of spider web around us that enables us to feel into a room and feel how that room feels or feel how that person feels. And when we meet someone, we have that immediate liking for them and that immediate love at first sight or or that feeling where I just feel like I've known you before. And often that's because your patterns match or your patterns are very similar. And when they're very, very different, there's often an extraordinary kind of feeling of like, oh, no, I don't I don't resonate with that person at all. And it, it, it's quite interesting and so I've interviewed people that have had near-death experiences and three of them said the same thing, which I found very helpful and interesting. They said that they felt their bodies rising, which is, of course, is what a gas does. And then they looked down upon their bodies being resuscitated and all of them said, I hope that person's going to be okay. There was zero attachment anymore to the physical of the body and they had become the observer of what was happening in a compassionate way. And so this is very interesting. There is just simply a watching. And that really ties in a lot to people that have had out-of-body experiences through various different psychedelics. My son, and I, it seems very sweet that I suddenly launch into my son. <laughs> my son's 15. And he hurt, broke his wrist skateboarding a few months ago. And the doctor gave him drug, which is a horse tranquilizer, ketamine. And um, it warned me. He said, your son's going to be here, but not exactly here, whilst we reset his arm. And so they administered the drug intravenously. And Rama, <laughs> he went for in three, in four, within four seconds, he was like, what the fuck? And before he finished that, his mouth was open, his eyes were bulging. He was, you know, here but not here. He was, I could see his head moving around while the nurses were like yanking on his arm to set his arm and setting it and putting it in plastic. It was a pretty bad break and they needed to work quite hardly on his arm. And, um, and, and when he came around after the whole thing was done and I talked to him about it, he said that he, he was watching them do it from the corner of the room. He could see himself. He could see them. He was watching them as they were resetting his arm. He said he also went into wormholes and saw kind of geometric shapes and all kinds of other stuff. 
but I found it very interesting. He'd become the observer. And I said, do you ever know what it's like to observe yourself just in a normal state? And I, I have that experience and I use that experience. I use my the experience of being able to observe myself when I'm triggered by something. And the observer self is able to simply ask the question, when was the first time you felt like that without any judgment? It's very helpful little tool to have in my box so then I don't feel like I need to judge myself for feeling whatever kind of way I feel but compassionately just simply observe it and so the fact that he was able to observe himself but still be alive suggests to me that electrical charge is the silver thread now how can people whose hearts have stopped beating Often we have this idea that, well, how can there be electrical charge if the heart stopped beating? Well, for about 12 minutes, the brain, there's still some aspects of the brain where there, there is some activity. But a really interesting piece that Dr. Jerry Pollack shared on my second to last masterclass was that his, one of his students did a study on a chicken embryo so you can get an egg, a fertilized egg, and crack it and actually watch the chick grow um, in a special way. You can Google how to do it. These Japanese children were doing it in a school thing. And so when the, I think it was after four days, they stopped the heart beating of this little thing that was dust. It wasn't even looked like a chicken at that stage. And they wanted to measure if the exclusion zone of the water in the in, in the body of this embryo as such would drop with all the other vital signs and there was a drop but it didn't drop completely to the bottom when they put infrared light because exclusion zone or this fourth phase water expands with infrared light they observed that the exclusion zone of this little dead embryo spiked when they brought the infrared light up it went all the way up and that very slowly went down over the course of an hour or so and Jerry said we may have to reconsider when somebody is dead and that's very interesting because as long as there is any movement just like uh, Thomas Hieronymus the organs were fresh and there was still that blood hadn't all coagulated and everything yet there was you know it's a very flowing blood still it was not flowing because the heart was beating and all these kinds of things it was just moving um it was not moving but it was just easily flowing and so you see there was a pool of blood around some of the organs mm -hmm. it's quite important to try to get that correct and so um by seeing all of this it's like well that's that's really interesting so as long as there and, and so as long as there's movement of kinds if any movement then that means that there's must be some kind of piezoelectricity coming out of the the waters in the body so that would then enable that very fine thin silver thread of electricity to enable the soul to come back or the spirit or the subtle body to come back into the body but then there are people that astral travel we can observe ourselves in dreams the dream times are very interesting and important so we kind of look at this concept well we seem to have a spirit or a soul or a subtle whatever we want to call it that is able to travel but we as the human being and the body is able to be maintained to some degree and so how is this working i think it has to be 
something to do with the water element here where I think we know so little about water and there's so much to learn that perhaps one day there will be some technology we're actually able to see the spirit leave the body and we're able to identify it as another realm, another type, subtle type of air or ether or vapor. So that has always made sense to me mm -hmm. because you hear that the body, the soul leaves the body upon death, but nobody tells you how. And in what in what way does that might like happen? Right. So I I find that extremely interesting, and also I've observed that water isn't limited to realms. So when I, I I've talked about mum, I used to live in Japan, and um, it was before cell phones and emails and all of that, and we'd write letters to each other. And at the end of every letter, mum would try to draw a circle and she'd draw a little heart in the middle. And um, that was her sort of end signature kind of thing. And mum's circles were really bad. And so <laughs> when I was missing her and uh, I said to the water, can you show, can you connect to my mum? And I wasn't, I wasn't, they didn't know what to expect at all. But I saw a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And that was mum's signature, you know, that mm -hmm. was that was how she ended every letter. So that really made me very excited that the spirit is still able to communicate through water, through this realms. So I'm, I'm so excited to have, I'm, I'm, I've got um, Isabel Friend coming on and she was telling me about a man, I'm just trying to remember his name right now, um, maybe I wrote it down because I think he sounds so interesting. Um, Ched Myers, he has this this um, uh, website called Watershed Discipleship. He thinks the Bible is talking about water. And I, I think that's sort of something I really want to learn about. So either she or he, uh, I haven't heard back from him, we'll, we'll be speaking into that. And I think that would be very, very interesting to know about. I think there's so, so much to learn here. And, and all of it helps me relax that little bit more. Because one of the main things people are afraid of is death, whether we admit to it or not. And as we get older, it becomes more and more something we might think about. And it's death and separation, which is the same thing, but like being alive and feeling separate, you know, it's, it's just as scary, but to realize that all this exists makes well, you realize yeah. you're not alone. We're all, it's all, we're in it. There's no way we can be separate. No, we, we, we can't be. It's interesting because the water we drink has found its way to us, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes when the world is particularly not great for you, just knowing that that glass of water has, has, it's no coincidence that it's managed to get to you. Of all the water in the world, we don't tend to think about it like that. That glass of water has managed to make its way to you. Not about all the quality, what kind of water should I drink? What's best for my health? I'm not talking about all of that. I mean, it's such a first world problem. There's so many people in the world that just would wish they could have any kind of water and so but but being grateful the fact that a glass of water is in front of you that it's made its way there for you it's been through the trees and the 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 animals the earth 
it's been through your ancestors it has wisdom but how you welcome it is how it's going to be received so you can have all the best quality water in the world but are you welcoming it when it enters you so your saliva i've done tests a lot of tests on different bodily fluids and what i've observed is that when you spit into a petri dish and freeze it there will be bubbles that form and etched into the top of the bubbles there are often images relative to your last word and that ties in with this idea of blessing your food or your water or your meal or being grateful saying something kind because your saliva is the first liquid that of your body that water comes into touch with and it is all the information about you and your last word with it and so if you think of your fluid body as a welcoming committee to the things that we're putting into it particularly with water or keep it at that when you imagine if it's ignored and you touched on that as well about when someone is ignored um, that can create even more problems in the future um, than someone who is given lots of attention or or really where attention has been given in a really negative way at least someone knows that they're being spoken to one way or another the person who is ignored often has the worst issues um, and that was shown in Emoto's work you know with the way that where the rice stayed the white for the longest when it was spoken kindly to and the the one that where it was hatefully spoken to turned black fairly quickly but the one that was ignored was the worst of all and so I think that that's a very, very helpful thing to remember I think as we go through these stages and realize that most of what we're eating and drinking is being ignored if you have an apple and we label it here's an apple no one's okay yeah I see an apple when we eat it is it still an apple it's you could say it's become a function for my body but actually all the functions are part of your body they're in your body so you have the energy of that apple so it's quite interesting about the way we perceive eating and drinking even these these sacred things that we do that we take for granted that we're so fortunate to be able to have when it comes to water i think that if you have whatever the water you've got the best kind of water you have whether it's whatever I like spring water I can't always have it so I work with what I can and I'm grateful for it and I'm mindful not to ignore it and know that it's going to perform function within my body relative to how I received it and that's very so much it's a human trait if someone came to my door and got all the way to my door and knocked on my door and I opened the door and just walked off I'd be like they'd be like what's going on it's like a friend right a long distant relative managed to get to my door and I just ignore them I'd never dream of doing that you know I'm of course going to welcome them in and offer them something to eat and be nice and, and all this so it, you know it's kind of interesting and it's interesting that we sell water you know it, it's it's become a commodity in, in so many ways not just a resource you know we we're selling ourselves if you think about it we have so much water think about all the amount of water 99 by molecular count 
even just if you look at it by volume, like 75-ish percent water, by bottling it and selling it and and these water wars which are happening. I was talking to somebody in India two days ago, I was on his podcast, and he was saying, you know, there are literal water moguls there, like mafia. They call it the water mafia that uh, bring in these tankers and 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 there's so much extortion going mm-hmm. on for clean water and and this is going on you know just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening and and if water is like fluid emotion which is what i think it is you know we we literally we are take we take all of these things and we take look at water and and we make it so exclusive it shouldn't be something we're selling it saddens me and i've done that you know it's interesting because there was a time when i had a very small little business whereby i was encouraged so much because i had a healing experience from the spring water and all my clients from my wellness center wanted the water and it, and because i had to pay the guy who had um he, he was just a private guy veda is this the pay. water that made the glass come out of you yeah yeah it was. And so everybody wanted it. So I was like, well, if I'm going to give this to people and, and, and they, they want to give this exchange, then I need to make it in blue glass. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I made it available to people until the time came when that man sold his property. And the intention was that this was a healing water that I was giving to people. And there was an exchange of money that came with that. And and I think if you have a, this very deep intention this this kind of that is your foundation then the energy of that is also going to carry through over into the water that you know that there you have this exchange with but when you're raping and pillaging the world and i don't i don't do that anymore and uh, and many people ask me where can i get it can i get it from you and i i don't have access to it and i consider all water to be sacred but i do think there are certain medicine waters around the world there's a whole other conversation. I, there was a part of me, as, I, as I've become more and more and more in relationship to water, I, I wouldn't want to do that anymore. Um, not because I think it's... I think if you're a conscious company and you are making water available to people with the right intentions, water knows that. And that's different. And I know a number of, of small companies that are doing really great things out there and are making these waters available to people in a conscious way. But when literally you are taking water from third world countries that desperately need it and shipping it off to other places where the where it's taking away from the people that need it in the country where it's coming from, there seems to be to be something really wrong about that. Yeah. And, and and it feels wrong. And I know and, I've I've experienced it in traveling and photographing so many areas of Bitu where people are starving and they grow food. They're farmers, but all that food goes to selling, and they're hungry. Yeah, yeah. And it's often the third world countries mm-hmm. which have the rich are rich in these what we call resources, right? But they're poor because the they're selling those resources 
to finance the, their country or whatever they're doing with that. But the people <laughs> are hungry. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it, there's this imbalance that it's we about all know. It's about stealing life force, really, or controlling the life force. You know, much like the water mafia, it's about gaining control and taking life source away from a group so that they don't exist. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a lady who's coming, going to be talking. She lives in Argentina. And um, I, I mean, talking on my masterclass from a perspective of a of druid, from a druid perspective, actually, which seems interesting. But we were talking about the Maori and, and many other indigenous cultures. One of the first things that gets done is they're no longer allowed to speak their own language. When you take language away, you know, you take, you take a lot of the heritage, the power away from the words. Right, the it's, stories. It's, it's, the stories, yeah. And so you have to do things in secret. And then there's where there's secrecy. It's a, it's a whole thing. But, but that takes away a lot, I think. It's, it's easy to go down there. It's good to know what has happened. But in this right now moment, we have such a wonderful ability to shift it and to realize that water is communicating in these ways to remind us that we are seen, that that if we could see how water sees us from its perspective, we'd be able to view ourselves in an entirely different way mm-hmm. because water doesn't resonate at a lower frequency. If I'm frustrated and angry, water doesn't play with me. I don't see this imagery. It's not because it judges me. It's just because that doesn't resonate at that frequency. And within that, it's very helpful to know because the moment that I think that I know what water's going to do, it often will not do that. And and sometimes I can be sad, which is natural. I mean, consider I do crystallography just about every day. There's going to be times when my I might feel sad. And in those times I'm doing crystallography, the spring water that I often use it won't just suddenly turn bad because I'm sad. I'm not projecting the feeling of sadness. I'm just sad. Water knows it. So it will sometimes share these sad faces with me because mm. it sees me. Have you ever come across the book, The Secret Life of Cells? The Secret Life of Your Cells, where this man... Years ago, he hooked up his houseplant to a lie detecting machine. And then one day he was making coffee and poured boiling water on another plant by mistake. And the plant that was observing this, that was hooked up to the lie detecting machine, freaked out. So you see all the lions like freaking out. And so he's like, that's interesting. I wonder if it was because it observed its fellow plant friend being hurt. I'm going to try it again. But in his mind, he thought, I'm not going to, obviously, I'm not going to hurt another plant, but I'm going to pretend like I'm going to and see what happens. And so he goes and boils more water and he goes to pour it on another plant in front of the plant that's hooked up to the machine that freaked out previously. And the plant didn't react because the plant knew his mind. It knew that it was just, it was a test. He documented life with this plant And so one day he was outside and, you know, everything is uh, written like 3 p.m. This happens 3.15. This happens. So one day he was out and got into a fender bender, a car accident. And when he came home, 
At exactly the same time he had the accident, the plant freaked out. So much like dogs can sense us, you know, our pets can sense us. Mothers can sense things about their children. The plants, it was, it's, we're all interconnected. We all know each other's feelings. But it's about remembering to communicate that with one another so that we do realize that, my goodness, we're in it together. You know, when I move, you move. Remember that song? Yes. <laughs> Just like that. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. And then another thing I was thinking about when you were mentioning the taking away of language, it's really taking away of memory. The taking away of water is the taking away of life. But like when you take from one, you're taking away from yourself because I've heard you speak so many times now, Veda, and how... You talk about that we're all water. We're all experiencing ourselves. We're looking at each other. We're basically water looking at water. And I have some questions. One is, so is water separate from us or are we water? You know, like if you're in a bad mood, the water doesn't vibrate to that level. Is it just your higher self doesn't operate at that low level? Are we still one or are we separate? And also, when you take away language... When you take away all of that, you take away memory for a while. Like it's, it's kind of like having temporary amnesia. Like I remember, okay, so when I was born, I came in with memory. Like I remembered before I was born. And when I, I remember being in diapers, probably just maybe three months old or four months old, I remember everything about the room. I remember the Persian rug. I remember the conversations that were happening in the next room. And I remember feeling such panic because I felt like I had to beg to come into this life. I came in looking for Matt. And it's interesting because when I was a teenager, then I came across a movie that kind of was based on exactly my entire life, how I was feeling. I had... Like from eyebrow to about lip level, an image of Matt, and I was looking for him my entire life. I knew, and I knew certain, I had certain clues about you, Matt, and I traveled all around the planet looking for you. And it's really interesting because when we talk to one another, we all have these clues, but if we can just talk and understand the hydroglyphs, understand the patterns, we're like, oh my God. That was you at the coffee shop seven years before we actually met. You know, like there's a there's a time where I was engaged to someone else. I was at a coffee shop in Santa Barbara and I was sitting there with my sketchbook writing and I felt someone behind me, not even a someone. I felt something behind me and it was so powerful, Veda, that I couldn't turn around. I, I couldn't because I felt like if I turned around right now, I would lose all my integrity. I'm engaged to someone. Dope. Now, I didn't know what was going on. So that, it was so striking. It always stayed with me. I never turned around. But years later, years later, like 14, honey? Was it 14 years later? When we were already married, we were talking about like, where were you at this time? You know, and we found out that even when I was traveling around the world, like Matt would be there several months in between that, like we were like kind of following each other around, but going back to that spot, that coffee shop in Santa Barbara, he's like, well, there was this one time I had a weird 
thing happened. I don't remember how you described it, but you basically said, I saw someone sitting there and I was just behind them. They didn't turn around, but they were sitting there with with a book and you felt something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Could you explain what you felt? Because <laughs> whatever it was stopped you from talking to me. It Basically, it was me. I was the one. I'm like, that was me. I'm the one. I was with my sketchbook. But you didn't turn around, so I just stopped. No, but what what were you feeling? Like, I'm just saying this is a, a tiny bit of an example of how we, if we look at the patterns, if we look at right. all of that, we see how we've been connected all along. Yes. Yes. No, no, no. I'll, I'll run into people and all of a sudden something about them will strike a chord, if you will. You know, is it like noticing like? Is it who knows? But it happens. It doesn't happen very often. And it certainly happened there at a point where she could have been there. And, you know, from what I remembered, it certainly looked an awful lot like her from the back. By the way, none, neither one of us lived in Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah, I was visiting a friend. And I was there because the guy was engaged who was taking a class. And Santa Barbara is my spirit one of the points on the planet where I feel like I'm getting messages clearly is there's there's a cluster of islands off of Santa Barbara, you guys. If you could ever go, if you ever go to Santa Barbara, it's it, was it called the San Juan Islands? I don't, now I'm having trouble remembering because we're such nomads. We've traveled so much that <laughs> like today we're like, let's go to the coffee shop. And I'm thinking of some other city we lived in. Right. I'm like, oh, we don't live yeah, there Yeah, the anymore. kids were talking about walking someplace. <laughs> but the cluster of islands, there's something so special about this one area on the planet. There's something that certainly resonates with you. From, with me especially, but I think there's a lot of activity. Like I've been, because I've had the good fortune of being a photographer and I travel around the world. I can feel and hear things like I'll touch something and I'll, and I'll hear very clearly. I was in Israel and we went underneath the wailing wall, like, like underneath and I touched the wall. Oh my God. And there was this, uh, there was this guy who was the tour guide who hated me. I, I was always very quiet, but because he already hated me so much, I decided I'm just going to be myself and actually speak right. and ask questions. I touched the wall and I felt like a vibration. Like I always felt like an alien when I was born, like from another planet. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this is familiar. And then out loud, I'm like, I asked, has there been a lot of UFO activity here? <laughs> that's my girl. And he that's when he just like threw up both hands and he, he just condemned me forever. But it's interesting because whenever I had that feeling, especially in Israel, mm -hmm. it happened a lot in the Middle East and in England, by the way. A lot of places I went to, I sensed, whoa, is this like what's what's happening here? That and also Wisconsin in in the United States. <laughs> I picked up a lot of UFO activity. But like I would ask, hey, What's going on here? And when I came back to the United States, I ended up finding information. Every spot where I asked that question, mm -hmm. definitely there's been activity, like UFO activity. UFO is the wrong term for it now. I don't remember what the the good term is, but you all know what I'm talking about, right? Like Like other planet, other universal energy. And it's just very interesting from my perspective in such a layman way that 
For example, that people are fighting over water, people are fighting over a piece of land, a temple that's built temple upon temple. Why? That one point on the planet, it's just very interesting. Which leads me to the other question I have, like, are we separate, water or not? Are we separate entities? So it's an interesting question because so much about what I, it's, it's just opinion rather than necessarily you know, I don't have all the answers. Such a big part is... But what's your feeling? I trust your feeling. Um, I, I think that we... Um, we're kind of holographic in a way. So it's, it's interesting because there is a, a definitely a real sense of what it is to be here and individual and separate. And I think we, we need that to some degree and we are that to some degree. There is an individuality about us of which we perceive the world through this vessel. But I think there's two aspects. I think there is this physical and spiritual aspect to us. I don't think we're as, it's, it's just one answer. I think that the water outside of us is is kind of like our our past and our future and we are the present and and that's how I see it more than uh, is water outside of us us well yes it has been us and it will be us and it depends on if you think that we are water you know, we're taught very much that we're carbon. We know there are all different kinds of ways in which the body works and chemical processes and hormones and all these kinds of factors to what it is to be a human being. But there are many cultures that believe in reincarnation whereby we could go from one body and become another body and have a new experience. And so that's very interesting because that then makes you wonder, well, what more is spirit? I think the question is more is what animates this body that we're in? You know, that who are you is, is a big, very big spiritual question to ask. And many religions and philosophies will say, well, you're a spark of God. And again, it's a very rudimentary blanket way of maybe putting that. But then the essence of who we are, I think, is intimately intertwined with water. And when we see water around us, we, we see our own image in water in a reflection. And water gives us the ability to both reflect on our lives and reflect our own image. And, and you know, you even look at the first area of Genesis and it says that God hovered over the face of the waters. So there was the water which had a face if you take it literally, and some it says the, the face of the deep, just talking about like that's deep watery abyss. And so I think that there is this idea that God created man in his image. Well, when we look in water, we see ourselves. I think there's a lot to question, and it's up to everybody to make up their own minds. That is how I would answer that. I would say that for as much as we think we're separate from Mother Nature as, as far as <laughs> how separate we are, it's an interesting one. We create our own separateness. But I think we're very blessed, actually, to be in, in a physical body, in this physical body, in this moment. 
we have purpose. I don't think our purpose is to find happiness. I think our purpose is to find purpose because that gets you up in the mornings when you're not feeling happy and gives you a sense of, right, well, I'm doing something that's bigger than myself. Sometimes that's being a parent. Sometimes that being a water crystallographer. That's a, <laughs> sometimes that's being a chef or a surfer or whatever it is that you're actually doing because you think this is going to make a difference. We're much more than we think we are. I've studied lots of different philosophies and religions because I'm interested in what people have faith in. Uh, but the study of water is taking me on some very profound journeys of my own spiritual inquiry and it forced me to observe myself a lot too because water is wild <laughs> and I want to keep water wild and in the, by doing that you know when if you go out into the forest and there's a wild deer that somehow befriends you you know what an honor that is because you know they're wild they don't have to do that and there is something that happens inside of you if on the rare chance that a wild animal will come up to you 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 feel special mm -hmm. you're chosen and this is the energy that water gives me because i know how wild it is and because i don't want to change her or him or it <laughs> it's weird i don't <laughs> want to put those, those terms yeah because water is both yeah you have you, you literally have two hydrogens which are feminine in the mode of levity and one large oxygen which is masculine in the mode of, mode of gravity and together they create liquid water on earth oh wow <laughs> thank you so much and very giving with your yes, time thank for you. sure you thank you so, so much perhaps in the future we can meet up again because there are so many other things like noble water that's in us like there's so much to talk about <laughs> um again thank you so much thank Ada. You. you are a true goddess thank you oh reflecting you thank you so much really love to meet you thank you see you soon bye bye, -bye. <laughs> so that was amazing thank you everyone for listening um we haven't done a two-hour show in a long time true thanks again guys again reach out to veda you can go to instagram veda austin underscore water and her website is vedaaustin.com she makes her classes accessible. They're not crazy expensive. Go to her website and you'll see everything that we're talking about. And um, yeah, highly recommend taking her classes. Absolutely uh, life affirming. I feel much more hopeful about life. It definitely gives you that sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. There's more to things. When you think that life is a certain way and things look abysmal... There's magic all around, guys. There's so much. So let's keep sharing and let's keep showing each other things, you know, messages in water. Oh, there's so much I wanted to share. Like, I always got messages <laughs> on windows. We get messages in our kitchen all the time, You guys. need to pay attention. Oh, my God. We'll slice into an onion and we see the most amazing stuff. There's always, there's messages everywhere. Thanks for listening. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. <laughs> She's going to stop, folks. Love you guys. Talk to you in a few days. Be well. Bye.